which you've thought to just be fantasy. As, of course, if you ignore the stories of people who have been taken by beings who they might describe as extraterrestrial or alien. But now what's been considered fantasy in films is actually being revealed in official briefings and in hearings. And more and more, it does appear that we are being primed for the alien narrative. Good evening, friends, from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. I'm Jeremy Scott, and it's good to have you gathered with us here again tonight. You know, just a few months ago, it was stated by former intelligence officer David Grush that we are in possession of crash debris and non-human biological entities. And those revelations have gone around the world and back since then in the last three and a half months. He obviously was cleared to say some of what he spoke. So the question is, was that intentional? Was it intentional that he release even just a caveat uh, or a, a small sample of what he knows? And if that is the case, well, who authorized it and why did they authorize him to speak about that? This story, though, also went viral. How can we forget about the family in Las Vegas that claimed they saw 9 to 10 foot tall non-human beings, those were those were uh, their words, in their backyard that they say looked like aliens. Now, what's a little suspicious in this is that the 911 tape was released and so were the police body cams which having worked in media, in news, 911 tapes and police body cam videos are incredibly rare that they are released, especially in cases where nobody died. Now, certainly with police body cams and the whole uh, injustice protests that have been going on, they'll release police body cams if they believe they are in the right or even if it shows an officer uh, acting against the law, which has happened, they'll go ahead and release the body cams. But this was a case of the officers walking up to the house, trying to, I guess, investigate the sanity of the people who reported this sighting. It's just odd that they released the 911 tape and the police body cam uh, in a situation like this. 
So was that intentional? And of course, how can we forget about the three-fingered mummies uncovered at Mexico's first congressional hearing on UFOs last week? And while their authenticity is highly suspect, and yes, I'm aware that there has been some tests that have gone on actually just yesterday, I'm still not convinced either way. We have to wonder as well if that was intentional, bringing these mummies to the congressional hearing in Mexico. And that came just a day before NASA held a briefing after releasing their report from the UAP independent study team in which they made it clear that there is nothing of extraterrestrial origin involved. Why would we ever think that? But in the process, they also admitted that we don't know what UAP are. Therefore, it is still possible. We've heard of villagers in Peru being attacked by face-eating aliens standing seven feet tall. In Bolivia, villagers claim that a baby alien died after a UFO landed before mysteriously vanishing. This has all happened within just the past couple of months. Mentalist Uri Geller, a former guest of this program, has recently come forward with some questionable pictures of alien corpses. In fact, he tried to pass one of them off uh, as authentic when it was really a screenshot from an episode of The X-Files. Which, by the way, The X-Files is streaming free on an app called Freevee. F-R-E-E-V-E-E, and I'm not getting paid to say that, but I highly recommend that show. But the picture was from the X-Files. These were not real dead aliens on a gurney, as he wanted us to believe. But Geller also stated that Werner von Braun, the German-American aerospace engineer, showed him alien bodies and actually posted another picture of a naked alien that was allegedly taken in Mexico in 2004 and shared with him by abductee and researcher Whitley Strieber. So, not sure exactly what to believe in all of this, but I'm just finding it a little bit non-coincidental that all of these things have happened of late when it deals with alien bodies and non-human biological specimens. Now, this week on Hulu, there's a uh, film that is going to uh, hit. I haven't watched Hulu in years. I just don't find there's enough content on there to really give me bang for my buck. So I... I don't subscribe. However, I think I'm going to subscribe. If not just for this film, maybe I'll find something else that's interesting on there. You never know. But it's called No One Will Save You. Perhaps you've heard about it. And it's about an exiled, anxiety-ridden homebody who must battle an alien in her home. There was also Asteroid City, which showed an alien landing from a UFO and stealing the asteroid, and then returning it. 
Sorry if I spoiled it for you, but where have you been the last couple of months? You should have seen it by now. The story of Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, that is also completing its run in theaters. And there's talk that he was really involved in UFO crash retrieval operations. So where am I going with all this? Well, whether any of these stories are real or not, the talk of alien corpses and downcraft of late brings back memories of stories that we have heard over the years of governments hiding the existence of non-human specimens. We're talking about bodies, basically, or specimens, uh, chunks of body, not the full thing. So again, I ask, are we being primed for the alien invasion narrative, and is this a deliberate plot to prepare us for disclosure or is it a coordinated disinformation effort? Maybe they are entirely extra, uh, extraterrestrial, but maybe not. That's why we're hearing the term non-human intelligence, or NHI for short. That is being used more often these days. Whether they're part alien, though part human, or part whatever else, there are many reports of contact with beings on board UFOs that appear to have some human-like features, but clearly are not like us. Maybe they kind of look like us, but they don't. Maybe they do certain things that we do, but they do other things that humans don't do. Maybe they are from somewhere else. Tonight, we're going to welcome back to the program Preston Dennett, who has been investigating UFOs and the paranormal for nearly 40 years, having interviewed hundreds of witnesses and documented their stories. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, the author of 31 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. In Humanoids and High Strangeness, 20 true UFO counters, encounters, Preston documents face-to-face contact with entities of all types. Stories of sightings and landings and onboard UFO encounters. Preston's work goes well beyond the lights in the sky. He really does understand what is going on, uh, probably as well as anybody who is currently researching the topic today. So, Preston, it's a privilege to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me on. What is your take on particularly what happened in Mexico and the release of uh, what they want us to believe are actual corpses, bodies of aliens that have lived as long as, what, 1,700 years. Uh, Mind you, we should also point out that Jaime Musan is the individual behind this, and we know the history with Jaime Musan in faking evidence. Did so back in 2015. It turned out to be a child, but he wanted us to believe it was extraterrestrial. Right. Well, I'm kind of of the same mind as you. I'm a little on the fence about it. I'm going to wait and see if there's some really good science behind this. Uh, This is something that is quite old, so I'm not sure how relevant it is to the current situation. I mean, it might prove to be non-human. I don't know. Uh, If it does, I mean, that certainly is groundbreaking. They don't look like the ETs we're hearing so many reports of. 
currently. So yeah, we'll see. Um, I am skeptical because we have gone through many hoaxes like this. So I will, you know, I can only wait and see. It's nice to hear them talking seriously about the subject in terms of government and officialdom, but I'm skeptical. I think as we all should be, and we should always not uh, forget our history and realize that things exactly like this have happened before, and we should not just uh, take anything really as evidence. But what do you make of um, everything that I've talked about so far? It seems to be that they are trying to push the alien narrative, especially when you have We'll say Sean Kirkpatrick talking about technical surprise and how these could originate from a mothership and uh, Bill Nelson giving us his own personal opinion that he believes there is life out there. Uh, Do you think that this is a coordinated effort in some capacity? And and if so, uh, what are they trying to uh, get us to believe in order to do, I guess? Yeah, well, it's definitely big changes than we've ever seen before. There's never been so much talk about UFOs, certainly not in official circles. With the recent congressional hearings with Grush and Fravor and Graves, I was encouraged by that. It went much farther than I thought it would to hear members of Congress say unequivocally that their UFOs are real. There is a cover-up. Some of us have seen UFOs. That was pretty strong rhetoric. More of our program with Preston Dennett to come. We've got to take our first break, but we'll continue with him right after this. Into the Paranormal. Somewhere between paranormal and abnormal, I'm Jeremy Scott talking with Preston Dennett. Certainly no shortage of uh, subject material these days when we talk about extraterrestrial biological entities or non-human specimens. There certainly has been uh, a lot of that being pushed in the mainstream news, including the story about the Las Vegas family who says that they saw aliens 9 to 10 feet tall in their backyard. Uh, That was another story that went viral. Uh, Since then, recently, the family's actually come out and given their name, told us who they are, uh, appeared entirely on camera with Inside Edition, and basically uh, drawed uh, some of what they saw. Uh, so your thoughts on the, the Las Vegas uh, situation, Preston, uh, with this family who sees something crash out of the sky and what they describe as something not human in their backyard. Give us an idea is, I mean, from, from your vantage point, is that something that, that you've heard before about uh, people coming in contact with beings that they believe are not human? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot more common than the general public realizes for sure. It was an interesting event in that it occurred coinciding with some recent congressional hearings and was totally viral. I mean, it was all over the news, then completely dropped out. 
And I really wondered about that. So it's interesting that it's now coming back into the news. They're sticking by their story. I'm hoping it gets fully investigated by a professional UFO researcher, someone with experience, because I'm certainly interested to hear what they have to say. It sounds like an unusual story. I did see the drawings. They do seem to match up with a lot of what other people are reporting. So we'll see where this goes, but it's interesting that it's come back into the limelight. And, of course, Mr. Grush, who spoke of UFO, uh, a UFO crash retrieval program and non-human entities, uh, is there evidence to support his claims uh, through UFO history books? Oh, certainly I think there is. It's very interesting because there's a lot of stories about UFO crashes and ET bodies being held in captivity. But ultimately, these stories are pretty much purely anecdotal. Of course, the Roswell case has a lot of corroborating witnesses, and most of the UFO crash cases do not. So they often rest on one person's eyewitness testimony. But the fact is that there's so many of them. Grush is one in a long, long line of whistleblowers. And I think that there's absolute truth to these. Most major researchers have talked to whistleblowers. I know I certainly have. So, yeah, I think he's got an impeccable resume and deserves to be heard. What do you think of the terminology being changed from UFO to UAP and instead of uh, ET or extraterrestrial to NHI or non-human intelligence? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Honestly, I think the term UAP is no better or even worse than UFO. I mean, they call someone a ufologist. What are you going to call them now, a uapologist? I mean, it just doesn't (laughs) work. Um, And as far as ETI, I mean, I am not sure that that's useful either. I honestly think... NHI, non-human intelligence? Yeah, non-HI. I honestly think we do know what these are. I think the evidence speaks for itself. These are extraterrestrials. Because let's face it, if they do have the bodies, and they do have these craft, and they are being reverse-engineered, that's certainly what the testimony is telling us. Well, all bets are off. Yeah. And tonight we're going to hear about stories of individuals just like you and I and Preston who've come face-to-face with something that looks human, but it's not. Not like us. Into the Paranormal will continue. I'm Jeremy Scott. This is Paranormal News. Another coronal mass ejection from the sun heads towards Earth following a super hot plasma eruption. A moderate geomagnetic storm watch was issued just days after another CME caused a geomagnetic storm that displayed dazzling auroras in several states. NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory reports the sun produced nine M-class flares, 22 coronal mass ejections, and one geomagnetic storm in the past week. There were more than 150 sunspots in July and over 100 in August. 
With extreme space weather events surpassing expectations, solar activity has not been this intense in 20 years. The current 11-year cycle is peaking far earlier than predicted and with greater intensity. When the sun unleashes particle storms that crash into Earth, it threatens satellites, jams radio transmissions, and overloads power grids. This suggests we need better observations and that something could be influencing the sun's activity. It's now believed the solar maximum could arrive ahead of schedule within the next year. George Henry, Paranormal News. Alleged evidence of aliens being presented in Mexico. These small, allegedly mummified specimens were unveiled at Mexico's first ever UFO hearing. They only had three fingers and elongated heads. Villagers believe these are seven-foot aliens. These people say there's aliens in their backyard. Do you believe that these creatures were human? That was not human. I would couch it as non-human intelligence. I see alien bodies lying in a kind of a glass-frosted coffin. The NASA independent study team did not find any evidence that UAP have an extraterrestrial origin. You're traveling at the speed of light into the paranormal. Paranormal. Preston Dennett, my guest tonight, author of Humanoids in High Strangeness, 20 True UFO Encounters. Preston, when you hear people like Bill Nelson, the NASA administrator, and also David Spurgel, one of the NASA UAP study team members, say there is no evidence to suggest extraterrestrial origin, your reaction? Oh, I want to throw something at the TV. I think it's disingenuous. I think that there is evidence, obviously. And a lot of it, there's implant removal cases, there's landing trace cases, there's a lot of medical evidence, both injuries and healings. The photographic evidence is mountainous. The eyewitness testimony, I mean, have these guys ever picked up a UFO book? This subject has been studied for 80 years. They're talking about simple sightings. They need to talk to people who are having direct contact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the experiencer is not being included in in any of the proceedings. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Arrow website now uh, officially online. Uh, when they ever, ever they turn on the way for people to report, I guess we'll see what kind of evidence they get, what kind of reports people make, and uh, what they're able to uh, surmise from those. Uh, but I mean, the goal really is not to get to the bottom of this. Do you really think, uh, they just asked for a special committee, some of the, uh, congressmen and women who helped put together the last UFO hearing, and they were basically told, no, no special committee, but you can have another hearing. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all this was. This wasn't disclosure by any means. Uh, it was basically all talk. I'm still waiting for honest-to-God disclosure. To me, the end game would be show us the craft, show us the bodies. And I don't think we're going to get that, not anytime soon. I don't think our governments or who's ever behind this cover-up are ever going to willingly disclose. They've lied from the beginning, and they're still lying now. So I don't trust them. So you think we do have this in our possession? I sure do. Oh, yeah. And with It's not just a few reports of this. There's a lot. You know, it's not just Roswell. Roswell is very well known, the New Mexico 
1947 crash, but there's the Paradise Valley crash, 1954, the Aztec, New Mexico crash. Something happened in Kecksburg in 1965. This is happening all over the world. There's a lot of cases. Uh, and you deal with some of those as well. You've got reports of these craft in some cases, and not if they don't crash, uh, they land, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of what I've specialized in is talking to people who have had direct contact. By that, I mean, yes, encountering a landed UFO, ETs face-to-face, or being taken on board. I think this is the core of the UFO phenomena. This is where we're going to find the answers as to who these beings are, why they're here, where they come from, and what their agenda is on this planet. But you believe that the, 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 they're most likely extraterrestrial? Oh, yeah. I, I think the evidence speaks for itself. There's a lot of stuff that gets put under the UFO umbrella that perhaps doesn't belong there. There's certainly a lot of misinformation and disinformation. But I think if you look at the totality of the evidence, going from photographs to radar return cases to multiple eyewitness testimony to, as I said, landing trace cases and medical evidence and animal reactions and electromagnetic effects. I mean, I could go on. Angel hair, that's another form of evidence a lot of people don't know about. Sort of spider web, cotton candy-like substance that is generated apparently by the plasma fields surrounding these craft. There's an enormous amount of evidence, and the theory which best fits the totality of the evidence is extraterrestrial. I know there are other theories, everything from interdimensional beings to time travelers from the future and what have you. That's what the estimate of the situation found all the way back in 1948, and the government has been spending the 75 years since then trying to uh, convince us that 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 is not the case. Exactly. And what's going on now is really interesting because it's a 180-degree reversal. Project Blue Book, the Common Committee, the Robertson panel, all said there is nothing to this phenomena. All reports can be explained by hoaxes, hallucinations, and misperceptions. There is zero threat to national security. Now there's a 180-degree turnaround. They're saying, well, you know, this could represent a threat to national security. There is something to this that we can't explain. And I think they can explain it. I think they've got the hard evidence. I think they know exactly what this is. Do you think we're headed there now, uh, given everything that we've talked about so far, uh, where it just seems you know one thing after the other that they're trying to push uh, the alien narrative, whether it is for an alien invasion or or what? Yeah, well, they're certainly trying to push this alien narrative. I mean, we see that because UFOs are in movies, they're in video games. I mean, they're in advertising. You can buy UFO ice cream bars. It's everywhere. So that it's saturating our culture. So it's clear, I think that is intentional. But I don't know that... I, I mean, I, I do believe disclosure is inevitable. The truth kind of has a way of taking care of itself. It can't be hidden forever. I'm not sure the U.S. is going to be the ones who do it, though. Unless there is this shadow government, which far more men and women besides David Grush over the years have talked about. He certainly has brought it back to the forefront that there is this uh, shadow government that even 
operates above the Congress and the office of the president. Is that feasible in your mind? Yeah, I think it is. And the more you dig into this, you see that that's probably true. Uh, We're talking about a sort of military-industrial complex. Remember, while we do elect senators and representatives and governors and presidents, we're not electing military officials. So we have the top levels of the Army, the Air Force, and uh, the Navy, and, of course, Pentagon officials and NASA. These are not elected officials. So we have no control over that. And I think that's where the problem lies. And I think those are some of the folks behind this cover-up. So a cover-up then, not a lack of knowledge, not uh, basically a need to know, but a cover-up. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt there's a cover-up. It's easily demonstrable. Has been for years due to documents released through through the Freedom of Information Act. We know there's a cover-up. There's really no doubt about that. How far it reaches, well, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But it certainly seems to be a worldwide cover-up. Because there has been so much talk lately about non-human intelligence, about extraterrestrial biological entities, uh, however we want to refer to them, uh, I think the timing of your book which is called Humanoids in High Strangeness, is perfect. Uh, When we say humanoid, uh, we're obviously talking about something that is either human, uh, part human, or has a human-like appearance, right? Exactly. We almost get exclusively reports of human-like beings, humanoid. By that, I mean bipedal, having a head, arms and legs, eyes, and so forth. Almost all reports of what we would call ETs seem to be humanoid. So that itself has great, you know, implications. I mean, some of them look just like us. There's a huge, wide variety of them as well. It's not just grays. There's little blue beings. There's, as I said, human-looking ETs. Praying mantis is not uncommon. Uh, All kinds, tall whites. Uh, light beings, you name it, strange humanoids of every kind, short little hairy dwarves. There's a surprising variety. And and these are beings that we can't necessarily uh, distinguish uh, much from an actual human in that uh, you can maybe tell some things off if you study them long enough or you have a, a contact experience. You might come back with that recollection, but at first thought, you may not realize that they're not like us. Uh, well, it depends. I think some people can go through their whole lives denying, trying to explain away their encounters, uh, refuse to look at them. It's not at all uncommon for someone to be in midlife and then have an encounter and realize that they've been experiencing strange events throughout their life. Uh, This is rarely a one-off. This is something that usually people live with their entire lives, and a lot of people. Uh, J. Allen Hynek was quoted as saying, one in 40 people have had an onboard experience. I thought that was way too high. But in 1991, the Roper Organization, which does polling, found that one in 50 people show the markers of being a contactee. So whatever the number is, it's in the millions. 
I wonder if maybe there's a possibility that we're not fully human. Yeah, I think that there is absolutely a possibility. And certainly some contactees feel that they are hybrids. I am in touch with a lady who I wrote a previous book about called Symmetry, who's had her genetics done. And she showed them to me. And there's part of her genetics that they cannot identify as human. It's a small percentage. It's like 2%. But still... And I do find that contactees have interesting genetics. One gentleman I talked to, he is, suffers from a rare condition called a uniparental dysonomy. Almost all his genetics comes from one parent. It's very unusual. There seems to be a high incidence of twins among the contactee population. Many of them have uh, royal bloodlines that go way back. So there's some interesting genetic features. The fact that some ETs look just like us, I think raises serious questions about human origins, who we are, and our relationship to ETs, which is clearly much closer if they are, as we so often hear, hybridizing with us. Based on the interviews that you've done, the accounts that you've collected do you have a percentage or maybe even uh, a guesstimate on how many times people report in their experiences they came across across something that was not human versus human-like? Uh, well, getting the exact percentage is difficult. Uh, again, all humanoids, I would say in my own files, at least 50% are what we would call some form of the grays. Short little uh, large-headed beings, no hair, very large dark eyes, gray skin, anywhere from three feet tall to five or six feet tall. But there's variation there, and some of them are upwards of seven, eight, nine feet, and some are reported as being very emotional or having emotions, others not. So you get a wide variety of grays. And that's mostly what I get. Second most common, I'd say, would be human-looking and praying mantis. After that, it's really a catch-all category. Little blue beings, short, short humanoids, strange humanoids of all kinds. It's really hard to categorize some of these. Interesting. So blue beings, in addition to the typical grays or uh, greenish-type uh, beings as we're used to seeing in you know the movies and reading about in books. There's something about it that makes them kind of like you and I, but not like us. And we'll continue with Preston Dennett right after this. Somewhere between paranormal and abnormal. Into the paranormal. Gray beings, human-like beings, praying mantis-type beings. These are some of uh, what people report who have this contact with something that is not human. Something referred to as a humanoid. My guest is Preston Dennett tonight. Preston, uh, many of these cases in your book 
also involve physical evidence, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent. Some cases have more than others. There's one that quite has a very clear-cut case of a ET implant. When the gentleman took his daughter to the dentist, actually, he the, the dentist uh, sort of scolded the father, saying, you're, you're supposed to tell us, let us know if your child has an implant. And he's like, what are you talking about? My child has never had surgery, no implants. Well, the dentist handed over an x-ray, which clearly showed a small rod-like object embedded into her sinus. And uh, that is something we do here quite often. I've got a number of cases like this. I've got x-rays that I've seen, which I took to a, well, a medical physician and an emergency room doctor both of whom diagnosed it as a foreign body, metallic, opaque to x-rays. So when someone can connect this to a UFO experience, I think this is really good physical evidence and hard to explain away. So in the case of the daughter, did she have recollection of being taken somewhere? To a certain extent. uh, She was seven years old and was suffering from unexplained and severe nosebleeds and didn't know how this was going on. Her father asked her, you know, are you picking your nose? What's going on? And she didn't know how to explain it until he was watching TV and a show about gray aliens. And an image of a gray alien came on, and his daughter dropped her Barbie dolls that she was playing with, ran up to the TV and pointed to it, and said, Daddy, Daddy, that's what's coming into my room and poking my nose. So he nearly fell out of his chair because he himself had contact with Grays at age seven, as did his mother. And it turns out his daughter, who is now grown up, married, has children, has a seven-year-old. Well, she's now a little bit older, but at age seven, his granddaughter started reporting the same thing. So that's four generations of people who've had contact with these same ETs at age seven. Is that uh, common, Preston? It is. Uh, I would say most cases of people who have extensive contact of any kind, and by that I mean being taken on board or seeing these entities in your bedroom, this is usually generational. As I mentioned earlier, it's rarely a one-off. Sometimes it is. I do have cases of this, but more often it does seem to be generational, following families for many generations. Uh, moral of the story here, uh, if your child is picking their nose, they may have an implant from an extraterrestrial. They can't rule it out. I do encourage parents to listen to their children when they say they were seeing figures in their bedroom, particularly if they themselves have had encounters. What other kinds of uh, physical evidence uh, in some of these stories that you're going to share with us tonight will we hear about? Oh, there are, well, I'll have to think about that. There's a lady uh, by the name of uh, Susan Ware who was pulled on board a craft with her friend Karen, and both of them suffered some pretty severe what appear to be radiation burns. Uh, And this involved a lot of nausea and vomiting and skin peeling following a missing time UFO encounter in the Utah desert. 
1978. So we would term these physiological effects. And those are not uncommon. Most common would be minor eye irritation. A lot of contactees have extreme light sensitivity. That's certainly true in her case. But yeah, that was a pretty severe case of a physiological effect. Uh, how common are, are the cases of the missing time, Preston? Um, very common. I would say that the vast majority of people who have contact do experience missing time at one point or another. Uh, sometimes they're not aware of it, but when someone has a very close-up UFO sighting within a few hundred feet, the chances are very good. All right, don't have one of those experiences during the break. We'll be back after the top There's of the hour There's another hour of Into the Paranormal coming up. Hold on to your seats. Jeremy Scott, we were talking about missing time with Preston Dennett, and I want to give you the phone number, 503-506-0396 in the United States in Canada. Maybe you've had a uh, experience with missing time or an onboard UFO encounter. That's 503-506-0396 in the U.S. and Canada. You can also get through on Skype by clicking the button at paranormalradio.com or just putting into your Skype search bar ITP for Into the Parabnormal 51. Uh, and you can Skype into the program from anywhere in the world. These are experiences that happen to people all over the world. Uh, and they do experience missing time, which is a good indicator uh, that maybe something has happened to you. Uh, so that would indicate that they have the ability to manipulate time and space. Right, Preston? Oh, absolutely. In ways we don't fully understand. There are many cases of people who are pulled on board experience a fairly lengthy encounter, one hour, two hours, and come back minutes after they had apparently left. And certainly there are cases of people who claim to have seen future events or even past events. Uh, So yeah, ETs can do things with time that we certainly don't understand. I've heard many times people describe how a UFO will show up and they're being pulled inside of it and time around them seems to have stopped. So it's almost as if they're being pulled out of our time stream. It's very hard to understand exactly what's going on here, but it certainly shows that they can do things we have no understanding of how they're doing it. Do people report psychological changes after their experiences? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the UFO experience is 
often people would describe it as a peak experience, a superlative experience, something they remember for the rest of their lives. It affects them not only physically, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and psychically. One gentleman I interviewed had a pretty harrowing encounter with Grace. It was not pleasant. It was a standard, typical kind of examination. But following it, his intelligence boosted immensely, he says. He started working with computers and thinking about quantum physics. And his psychic abilities just went off the charts to the point where he was able to have telepathy and was reading people's minds and even beyond that to the point where he could influence them. This was something he said that he tested many times and was successful at it, and it quite scared him to the point where he decided he's not going to do this, that it was immoral. But this is something I do hear quite a bit. As a general rule, people who have extensive contact experience a major psychic awakening and come away from it with the ability to perhaps do hands-on healing, astral projection, clairvoyance, mediumship. I mean, it's right off the charts. Past life recall, you name it. Uh, they're changed physically as well. We've seen uh, reports uh, and heard reports of uh, implants, as you shared with us earlier. Also, it seems like uh, the scoop marks uh, are a widespread phenomenon uh, with people who have had uh, experiences. What other kind of physical injuries have uh, abductees, uh, people who have been taken, experienced? Uh, well, as I mentioned, some problems with eyes. Hair loss, perhaps, uh, is not unusual. I mean, there's a wide variety. It, it does seem to be, I mean, healing certainly do take place. I've got, I wrote an entire book on just healing cases because that's a very consistent feature of UFO contact. So it's really across the board. But most common would be marks on your body and light sensitivity. I would say the vast majority of contactees have that. And probably the appearance of an ET implant which is often not detected until they perhaps go to a dentist or a doctor and have x-rays or MRIs, and this is when it shows up. Are there times where people are not uh, touched physically in these experiences, or is there always a physical element? Uh, I suspect that there's almost always some physical element, but that it slides under their notice or under their radar, so to speak. Uh, but I would say in most cases, I would say the vast majority of contactees probably do have an implant. I can't prove that, but I've heard it so many times that I, I suspect that that's true. But this is a physical experience. There's no doubt about that. There was a gentleman in France who was taken at age four from his bedroom, and his mom couldn't find him. Asked him the next day, where were you? And he said, well... <laughs> You know, I was on a craft. He's just a little kid. He's got an eidetic memory, though, as many contactees do. That's another weird pattern. Often they do have photographic memories. But he recalled being on this craft, examined by tall entities. He couldn't see their face. They showed him what appeared to be another planet, very much green rather than blue like Earth, told him it was his true home, and took him back. But he was gone from his bedroom. And I have case after case like that where they're not where they're supposed to be. So for the most part, these beings are known to live not on Earth? 
Yes, uh, I think that this is, we don't know precisely where they come from. Some contactees do get that message. Orion has come up at least a half dozen times in my research, the constellation of Orion, and more specifically, the star on the far right. So I find that quite interesting. Certainly there's a case in this book, uh, the contactee, his name is Mike Wing. Uh, That came up in his case. So it could very well be that they do come from there. But we don't know. Often they're very coy when people ask, where are you from? They will give answers like, it's not important, or we're from a place you don't know about yet, or something along those lines. Uh, If that's the case, they have the ability to travel back and forth, and uh, they don't need a pit stop. Uh, They don't need to fuel up, so there must be something powering their craft. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And often, in fact, people, when someone's taken on board, it follows a pretty set pattern of events. The physical exam is the most common event. But equally common, or certainly consistent, is people being taken down to the engine room, what we would call the engine room, and told how these craft are powered, which is often along the lines of electromagnetism or magnetics or anti-gravity, this sort of thing. Uh, harnessing the magnetic field lines of our planet. And they explain very clearly that they are able to travel interstellar distances instantly. They do not use propellants like we do. And this is one of the things that a lot of mainstream scientists will say, well, this can't be true. Stars are too far away. There's no way we could ever reach them. Well, that's based on our own understanding of technology and physics. But many contactees are getting this same message. And Preston, you mentioned the healings, so I'm wondering how that comes into play. Are these uh, from individuals who maybe resist the temptation of being taken or being experimented on and may begin to fight these beings and therefore need to be um, healed of whatever injuries they suffer? Or are these cases where they're being healed of some sort of affliction that they may have? In most cases, it would be the latter, healed of everything from perhaps a cut or stomach aches to flu to eye problems, nearsightedness, farsightedness. I talked to a lady who suffered from glaucoma. She was visited by praying mantis-type ETs and went to her doctor, and he was shocked because her optic nerve, which had been thinning dangerously, was almost back up to normal. She believes the ETs healed her. This is not at all uncommon. There's been some studies on how common this is, and it's anywhere from 20 to 30% to up to 50% of contactees experience a healing. There are a few cases where someone perhaps does fight and gets injured and they're resisting the abduction, if you will. Uh, there was one case, Sar- Sergeant Charles Moody, who hurt his back when he was trying to fight off his kidnappers uh, and they healed his back. So this wasn't supposed to happen and it ended up being a very benevolent experience for him. Uh, I don't think the ETs are here to hurt us or scare us or to take over. I don't think the evidence supports that. It can be a very scary, harrowing experience for people, but I don't have any cases really at all of people being what I would call tortured or 
sadistic behavior on the part of the ETs. Uh, it can be, yeah, very, very scary for people, and they will conclude that this is evil. I didn't like it, but the vast majority do not feel that way. Okay, but they what about the individuals who have said that they have been impregnated uh, by these beings, uh, which may be against their will? Yes, I do have a number of cases of this, and I got cases like this very early on, uh, well before Bud Hopkins put out his book, Intruders, which really sort of provided enough cases for us to know that this does happen. And some Because I'm guessing nobody all... signs up willingly, yes, I will have your alien baby. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there are some contactees who do feel like they agreed to participate in this, and others who don't. So you get a bell curve of this. I did interview a couple from Canada who lost their baby at seven and a half months. They had a missing fetus following an encounter. This is really unusual because it usually happens around two, three months that they will have a missing fetus. And she was okay with it. You know, I spoke with her and her husband. He was had a more difficult adjustment to this. But she said, listen, I know my baby is fine. I feel he's out there somewhere, and later she did actually see him. And this is not at all unusual. At some point, people who do have a missing pregnancy are usually taken on board a craft and shown a child and and told, this is yours. And I've tracked some of these cases to where these, quote, hybrid babies are grown up into adulthood. I talked to a lady in Maine who met her full-grown hybrid son, and he said, we're watching over you. I've got a message for you and told her that she needs to tell people of Earth to stop putting out the greed and negativity we're putting out because we're going to destroy our planet like they did theirs. He told her a lot of stuff that that they have been manipulating human genetics and animals for millennia, particularly dogs and cats, improving their emotional intelligence to better relate to humans. He told her, If people should start disappearing from this planet in large numbers, it's being done by us for the universal good. Warned her about upcoming hurricanes. Uh, Gave her a lot of information. Said that who you thought were angels in the distant past was us. So this is a full-grown hybrid baby. And she feels like she agreed to this. And a lot of the contactees I talked to do feel that way. Certainly not all. Some do feel an absolute sense of violation, but some feel like, yeah, this is, they're fine with it. 503-506-0396 in the United States and Canada to join our program. That's 503-506-0396. We've got to take a break and we'll be back. Into the paranormal. Somewhere between paranormal and abnormal. I don't say it enough, so I'll do it right now before time gets away. If you uh, want something to show off your support of this program, it's available in the store, which is at paranormalradio.com. Just click on the store button, paranormalradio.com slash shop. You can get there as well. We've got lots of cool stuff up there. It supports the program, shows others what you are listening to. Night by night as we uh, broadcast through these airwaves from one side of the country to the other. 
more and more people are hearing the program. I'm hearing from those of you out there that you're hearing us as well. And uh, that is uh, th- that makes my day every time I hear it. So uh, the contact page at parabnormalradio.com is a quick way that you can get a message to me, whether we're live on the air or whether you're listening to the podcast. Uh, I always love hearing from you. Always love having Preston Dennett on the program as well. Uh, Preston has appeared on this program uh, too many times uh, than I can count, uh, which is a good thing. I'm going to try to do a, a quick, some quick math here on how many times Preston's been on the program. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I know it's really bad radio to do it live. Uh, but yeah, the twelfth time that Preston's been on the program tonight, we have uh, really covered a lot of material. Uh, This is material that if it was presented to a special committee or through a hearing or during a briefing would absolutely blow people's minds. Uh, Preston, when we talk about, well, back to our conversation that we were uh, discussing through the break, because I can imagine that it, depending on your perspective, Uh, If you had an alien's baby, you may either be okay with that or you may not be okay with that. Uh, I'm wondering if aliens have a sex. Are they male, female like we are? Yes, absolutely. And a lot of people do report this. It's not always immediately apparent. Uh, Sometimes they only can tell when the ETs start speaking to them, which is usually telepathic. But people will hear a male voice or a female voice, or sometimes they'll feel like this ET is more nurturing and perhaps female. Uh, Sometimes it's overt, particularly when people are dealing with human-looking ETs. But with the greys, praying mantis, not so easy to tell. Because they all look the same? Yes, for the most part. I mean, it depends on the individual. Uh, One witness I did talk to, who I mentioned earlier, Dolly Safran, she's what I would call a fully conscious contactee, does not use hypnosis, has had hundreds of encounters, and she has interacted with them extensively and says that she can easily tell them apart, which which ones are boys, which are girls, which ones are little AI grays, which do not have a sex and aren't really alive as we would think and of And how does she do that? Do they have um, features that we do not? Or they lack certain ones? Uh, no, it's just more subtle. They, they do have the same body shape. The anatomy is largely identical. Uh, well, I won't say identical, but certainly similar. Uh, but So the females would have more hips to them, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, she says they have the same very close to the same anatomy that we do, the uh, taller grays or the mid-sized grays, but not the short little AI ones, which is what I think a lot of people are seeing. These are usually the guys who scoop you out of your bed and pull you on board a craft, Mm -hmm. and you're being physically examined by them while there's a taller gray who stands by. A human-like, but not like us. More to come with Preston Dennett. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the Parabnormal. 
is paranormal news. Flatlining doesn't necessarily mean the end of consciousness, according to a new study of cardiac arrest patients. Research by NYU's Grossman School of Medicine and two dozen hospitals in the U.S. and Britain found that some people who have technically died will show conscious brain activity up to an hour after their heart stops beating. Those resuscitated also recalled memories of their near-death experience, suggesting they were still conscious while clinically dead. It suggests that there must be some consciousness or awareness going on during cardiac arrest. And so we really tried to test the hypothesis, essentially, that consciousness or awareness is going on during cardiac arrest. And there may be explicit recall of events. Dr. Sam Parnia says these experiences provide a glimpse into the little understood dimension of human consciousness that's uncovered with death. George Henry, Paranormal News. Lizard looking, uh, not pleasant. The creatures that I have seen mostly have been the uh, the greys. This slimy two-legged creature with these wide lizard-like eyes. And I remember the strange beings on the room and I was Black eyes. They're very large. They're like eight foot. Nine feet, ten foot, I don't know. They look, like, they look like aliens to us. Big eyes, they have big eyes, like, okay. like I can't explain it. And big mouth. They're shiny eyes and, and they're not human. They're 100% they're not human. Searching for the truth. Asking the hard questions as we ponder what could be. Traveling into the paranormal. Doesn't that sum it up? I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between paranormal and abnormal, talking with Preston Dedit tonight. Humanoids and High Strangeness 20 True UFO Encounters is his book. Now, if you played this program before a congressional committee, we would get further on this topic than we have through three and two NASA meetings. But of course, they're not going to do that because uh, they would rather just focus on what these are not versus what they are. I don't care if they are not extraterrestrial in origin. We already know that they possess a national security threat. Let's address that and see where it takes us. As we were talking with Preston before, it does sound like you can differentiate sex among these gray species, at least uh, most of them, and that they do have an anatomy that is similar to you and I. Uh, Hence, when the term humanoid is being used, it is uh, sometimes hard to differentiate something that is different than you and I. But these greys, the AI greys, as you call them, Preston, that that don't have a sex, these are the ones that are taking people. Are you implying that they are uh, being aided by artificial intelligence? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, Certainly beyond what we know of as AI, extremely advanced. Uh, and able to function autonomously. But according to a number of contactees, 
uh, certainly that I've talked to, and Whitley Strieber talks about this, these guys can be turned on and off. I mean, he saw them stacked up like cordwood on the craft. I have other similar descriptions of that same sort of thing. So these are, yeah, robotic androids, which are partly biological. Stacked up on top of each other? Yep, or lined up in a closet, linked together arm to arm, and turned off. So not alive as we would think of it. Uh, More like robots. Exactly. And these are often the ones that people describe as not being super emotional. So people will say, well, they didn't have any emotions. They didn't seem to care whether I was screaming or not. Uh, I didn't feel any compassion coming from them. And these are usually the very short ones, three to four feet tall, that are so often described entering into people's bedrooms and pulling them on board a craft via a beam of light, carrying them right through the wall, perhaps, or through the ceiling, up into a craft hovering over their homes. Uh, This, yeah, I hear quite a lot, and I suspect those are AI. As far as the marks on the body that you told us about before, I'm wondering if it's as much uh, for their benefit as it is ours. Uh, Are they trying to uh, identify us as property? I wouldn't say that. I don't think we have any good evidence of that. Uh, In fact, people have speculated a lot about the purpose of implants. And I've talked to at least a half dozen contactees who were told flat out by the ETs the purpose for the implant is not for tracking. It's not for mind control or anything like that. It's almost always health-related. One was told that the purpose of her implant was to measure the level of pollution in her body. Another was told it was to boost the immune system. Another was told it was to monitor her vitals in case anything happens, they would know of it. So who's monitoring this stuff? The ETs. They're they're very closely watching. Intervening when necessary? Absolutely. Yeah, there's case after case of people being rescued from dangerous health situations. Often it would be before, the day before, literally, an operation where they go into the hospital to perhaps have a cyst removed or what have you. They will show up. Uh, And not only that, I mean rescued. I've got a bunch of cases of people who were uh, prevented from having a car accident or a fall or a ground. Exactly. So I think this speaks to the ET agenda and why they're here. Uh, There's a lot of talk about them, you know, being evil and demonic and taking over and hurting us. And the vast majority of cases I have do not support that scenario. Uh, people are taken up into the engine room, told how, the, how to fly the craft, or even sat down in the pilot seat. And if someone talks to ETs beyond getting a message of, don't be afraid, we won't hurt you, no harm will come to you, it's usually along the lines of warnings and messages like uh, nuclear proliferation, the dangers of the use of nuclear materials, Uh, Warnings against war and aggression. I've got several cases like that in this most recent book. Uh, Warnings against pollution, the destruction of the environment. Uh, Messages along. There's a spiritual aspect that is often overlooked or even edited out of other cases. And I know this because I've talked to people whose accounts have appeared in other books 
and said, well, they left out some of the best parts, which is often about, as we mentioned earlier, people experience a sort of mini psychic or spiritual enlightenment or psychic development, a psychic acceleration as a result of their encounters. That's a big part of this. That doesn't get a whole lot of attention. As far as the marks on the body, uh, where are some of the most common places for these things to happen? Uh, You do see scoop marks on the shin, perhaps, on the arms, the back. It's really all over the place. Uh, These are very subtle, much in the manner, I would say, of an inoculation that we have, trying to prevent the spread of polio, perhaps. Uh, But, yeah, bruises are not uncommon. Uh, So, yeah, that is definitely one of the things I ask people in trying to determine if they're having contact. Do they have unusual marks on their body? Have they experienced a sudden healing or an unexplained injury? Uh, Do they have encounters as a young child, figures entering their bedroom? Have they had repeated close-up sightings? Do they have family members who have encounters, parents in particular or grandparents? There's a whole list of questions. Unexplained nosebleeds, uh, insomnia, light sensitivity, uh, fear of intruders. There's a a bunch of symptoms that people who have contact, generally there's a checklist that you can go down to determine how likely it is that you are a contactee. And Preston, at least in uh, maybe one or maybe more cases, uh, there have been reports of some of these humanoid-like beings that we've been discussing tonight actually taking flight, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can levitate. They are. There's been some talk, as, is this psychic or is this technological? I think it's probably both. And in fact, the craft themselves, many people have described this to me, are aware and almost like living beings. And some describe this in more detail than others, but certainly it's something I've heard many times. Uh, Are there sometimes people experience uh, encounters with a variety of beings, maybe uh, in different forms as well? Yeah, not at all unusual. Say uh, uh, ghosts or even, um, I don't know, Uh, Mothman or other types of creatures. Yeah, there's a lot of different humanoids. I mean, there's one case in the book where a gentleman swears up and down that as a little boy, he saw an elf. And not once or twice even, but a half dozen times, never saw a UFO. This was just a short little man wearing pants and a jacket, bald, round nose, big round eyes. Uh, But not an ET as we would think of it, and had conversations with them. And looking this up, I found a long list of cases where people describe seeing what we would think of as a gnome or a dwarf or an elf, uh, not an ET. So again, some stuff gets put under the ET umbrella that perhaps doesn't belong there. There's a variety of supernatural creatures. As a rule, contactees will see ghosts or shadow people or even angels or Bigfoot. There's at least two cases in the book where people encountered Bigfoot, which apparently in some cases certainly does have a connection to this. 
Uh, so there's it's a lot stranger, I think, than people realize. What about the reports of black-eyed kids? Uh, those seem to be uh, not human, uh, some would say. Yeah, and you know I've never gotten a report of that. Not one, so it's hard for me to speak on that. Uh, I suspect having looked into it, because I try to keep up with things, uh, that those are perhaps more of a spiritual nature. Uh, I don't see a direct connection with UFOs in most of those cases. The vast majority don't have a UFO involved. So that's kind of my assessment based on what I've read and talked to some researchers. But I don't know. I've never gotten a case of the black-eyed children. What about the men in black? Uh, that's also very rare. Um, I think we have a tendency to conflate two things going on with the men in black. Because people do have trouble with government agents, which we often call them the men in black. When really the true men in black are not government at all, as near as I can tell. And I've only uh, got shadow government. Yeah. Well, E.T., perhaps. Human-looking figures that... With very pale skin, very strange eyes, very odd behavior, uh, and usually show up when a witness has some sort of hard physical evidence or are very forthright in talking about their experiences. I've only got one or two cases of that type of men in black, but many in which government agents of some kind are harassing or surveilling people or breaking into their homes. I had a gentleman whose contact notes were stolen. I told him, write down everything that happened to you. That's the first step. He did. Someone broke into his house and stole those notes. Another lady had her hypnosis tapes stolen. I witnessed, I was with a contactee at a conference, and we were followed by somebody who I suspect was a government agent because we had rented an Airbnb off a little side street. And we were followed right up to this Airbnb, which was several turns off the main highway. And as soon as we got into the house, this darn car stopped and blocked the driveway. And the driver glared at us. So, And she had complained about being surveilled and sent me videos of it. So I witnessed it firsthand. Yeah, that does happen. Well, it sounds like there is definitely an uh, active cover-up or at least uh, trying to uh, influence or silence individuals who may be getting too close to the truth. I think so, yeah. And if you look into it, there are cases where people, whistleblowers in particular, have suffered reprisals, threats, uh, and even perhaps worse, some suspicious deaths do appear in, in the this field. Uh so, yeah, I mean, I've, I was threatened once myself uh, during the uh, very intense investigation into a UFO wave back in the 1990s in Southern California. I received a phone call from a gentleman who claimed to be from the government, had a top-secret clearance, was going on and on about his resume, and basically said, you should not be investigating UFOs. It's dangerous. But you've continued, Preston. I have. Oh, yeah. And we'll continue our show with Preston Dennett talking about uh, humanoid-like beings. Into the paranormal. 
I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between paranormal and abnormal as we wind down our program tonight with Preston Dennett. His website is linked up at parabnormalradio.com. In case you can't write it down, it's prestondennett.weebly.com, W-E-E-B-L-Y. And his book, Humanoids and High Strangeness, 20 True UFO Encounters. Preston, what do you think? Is this a deliberate plot to get us ready for disclosure and by this i mean uh reports of alien you know mummies and uh, aliens in my backyard and i've seen the bodies and uh you know there's aliens that are ending up uh in parts of the world after ufo crashes uh the movies that are being made uh, the the abduction movies, uh, the one about fighting off the alien that's uh, invaded your home. Is this all deliberate in which to uh, get us ready for some sort of grand disclosure event, or is it a coordinated disinformation campaign? What do you think? I think probably a little of both. It does seem to be a very carefully controlled. There does seem to be elements of propaganda to all this. You may remember in the beginning of this year with all the reports of the Chinese balloons and UFOs and UAPs uh-huh. being shot down. That was strange to me. I mean, I, I, And then it just went away. Yeah. What was that all about? That was very weird. I feel like disclosure, again, is inevitable. We do see it ramping up. But our governments are still not being truthful. I mean, we saw this with Moultrie and Daly. In the, what, three years ago in the congressional hearings when they denied any knowledge of the Malmstrom incident in Montana of 1967, which anyone who's been in this field for any length of time knows when UFOs came down and shut down our missiles. They're the heads of the Defense Department. They should know this. So that, I thought, was disingenuous. They said, they were asked flat out, have we ever shot at UFOs? And they both said no. Well, that's demonstrably untrue. And I would point to the Battle of L.A. in 1942, where we shot some 1,400 rounds of ammunition at a UFO hovering over Culver City. So I don't know how this is going to roll out, but I suspect we're going to see perhaps more films, perhaps even a piece of metal. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if at some point we do see the craft and bodies. And for that matter... The ETs themselves might just decide to come down and say, okay, here we are. This is it. I mean, if the Phoenix lights happened today, as opposed to, you know, the mid-1990s, it would be game over. There's enough people now with cell phones and cameras that there would be incontrovertible evidence of UFO reality. To an extent, we're already there. The evidence is there. It's just riddled with disinformation and misinformation. Yeah, if the ETs descended from the heavens or whatever and did land on the White House lawn or at uh, a, a ball game on the football field uh, when everybody's watching or something like that, uh, we can't stop that. There's nothing that our government can do uh, to stop that. So the question is, why has there not been a grand reveal? Yeah, well, I wish I knew. Uh, I think... Th- According to the contactees, they were told we're basically not ready and that they have done disclosure. And we see this with waves of sightings. There was one in Mexico City over 1991 where a craft hovered for over an hour 
and was videotaped by 30 different people in various parts of the city. There was the French wave of 1954, October, September and October, involving literally a thousand sightings and landings and humanoids over a two-month period. There's the Cumberga's turkey footage of 2007, 8, and 9, which provides outstanding evidence. It's one of the best photographic cases we have. And that's a clear display. UFO researchers have realized long ago that UFOs are sometimes intentionally showing themselves. I wrote a whole book about schoolyard encounters, a hundred cases. Yes, you do. I, I have home. it. Highly yeah, recommend I mean, it. What is that, if not a clear display? It's as if they uh, they want to be observed, uh, Preston. Appreciate you coming on the program tonight. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Humanoids and High Strangeness, our 12th program together uh, with Preston Dennett uh, going back uh, to uh, 2016. My goodness. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, I'm Jeremy Scott. Good night. <laughs>